My name is Chase. I'm one of the pastors here at The Ring. And uh, let me just say that I'm thrilled to be up here teaching the Bible for you guys, especially to a, a group of people that I love so much and that are so dear to me. The Lord has used this community of faith in some really big ways, my own spiritual formation. And so let me begin by just thanking you for this privilege. It is truly a privilege for me to be able to get to serve you in this way. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so if you're wondering where we're headed, I'll be teaching out of Psalm 16. So you can flip there if you have your Bible. And kind of an outline of where we're going tonight. The first two verses sort of lay a foundation for the rest of the psalm. The rest of the psalm is really just a, an expansion of those two verses. Okay, And then the next pair of verses, we see this compare and contrast between people who run after the Lord and people who run after other gods. And we'll explore that a little bit. And then the next pair of verses, verses 5 and 6, are really the crux of, uh, of uh, the psalm and really starts to get to the meat of what I want to be driving home to you guys tonight. And it talks about the Lord being our chosen portion and our cup. It talks about how we have a beautiful inheritance through the Lord. And then uh, the rest of the psalm, the, the last half of it, is really just a description of that inheritance we have through Jesus. And so I'm just going to walk through it verse by verse, and then at the end I'll try to offer some thoughts uh, that will hopefully help this, uh, help this become real to our hearts, and really let the glory of it kind of hit you, or hit, hit each of us um, in a real way. So what I'm going to do is just read the psalm beginning to end. And then I'm going to pray, because I need a lot of help for tonight, and I think we all uh, need help to receive what the Lord has for us. So, this is uh, Psalm 16. David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to the realm of the dead or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father God, thank you for those words and for the truth that we get to explore tonight. I thank you for the ways we've been able to worship you through those songs. And I thank you for, uh, for making sure that we have them and that we get to exclaim and rejoice in the fact that you have freed us, despite our smallness, despite our rebellion, 
Jesus, you have been faithful to us. You have shown us mercy. And you will bring us into glory, just like you were by the Father. And so, Lord, as we uh, explore this psalm, I I ask you to help me speak all the things that you intend for us to take into our hearts and embrace tonight. Um, I ask you to help me speak with a sincerity and and a passion that is due the glorious truths that we are going to explore tonight. And I pray for my brothers and sisters and all my friends here and myself, God, that your Holy Spirit would open us, make us able to receive what you have, help us to humble ourselves and not not think that we, we have everything figured out, so we have this guard and we're not going to be receptive. Now, I pray especially for those here tonight who, who maybe aren't expecting uh, to meet with you in some significant way. I, I prayed this over all the summer community groups, and, and I want to pray it over us tonight. The last thing, Holy Spirit, that I would want is, is for this gathering to be just another churchy thing that we all attend. If it's just that, then we could all go home right now. And so, Holy Spirit, please do what only you can do and impart some of your power to this night. We love you. Help us to want you and to want what you have for us. Speak, please, and be our teacher, Jesus. We love you. It's in your glorious name that I pray those things. Amen. Okay, let's jump right in. If you look at verses 1 and 2, verse 1 tells us that God is our refuge who preserves us. And verse 2 shows us how God is that refuge who preserves us. So let's look at them. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, I love uh, the thought of the idea of the Lord being our refuge and us being preserved by Him. Because, think about it, a refuge is a place of safety and security that you get under during a situation in which, if you hadn't gotten under it, you would be destroyed. Right? A, a refuge is something you get under during a situation in which, if you hadn't gotten under it, you would be destroyed. So think of, say, uh, trying to preserve some food. Right? The Tupperware and the cold temperatures in your fridge are acting as a refuge, which enables the food to withstand things that otherwise would cause it to spoil. Okay? Or think of uh, people evacuating because of a hurricane. They get under the roof or the protection, the provision of someone else so they can withstand what would otherwise put them in great danger. And so God, for us, is this refuge that we live out our days under. Now, that is perhaps obviously uh, not to say that trusting and delighting yourself in God will make you somehow immune to difficulty or tragedy. I think we all know that. Right, but, but that's exactly the point. For example, the things that our coastal engineers are doing to preserve the coastline are not making the waves go away. The waves are always going to be there, and they will continue to beat on the shore. And so, for us, we can, we can acknowledge, yes, the waves are coming in life, but what, what 
those coastal engineers are doing is, is they're rendering, they're not, they're not making the waves go away. They're rendering the waves ineffective insofar as they erode the coastline, right? And so for us, we could acknowledge, like I was saying, yes, the waves in life are coming. And sometimes they beat unimaginably hard. And other times, not so much. But we have this refuge that preserves us. We say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, uh, stick with me on this. Another way to put what he's saying there in verse 2 is this. Every good thing I have is wrapped up in the Lord. Well, who's going to take the Lord away from you? Or what's going to take you away from the Lord? Nothing. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. No one, uh, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so if everything you value as good and precious, everything you hope in, everything that, that gives you a sense of meaning and worth, validity, what your identity is, is found in, if all of that is wrapped up in the Lord, you can lose nothing. This life can steal away as much as it wants from you. The world can crumble down around you and all it will do is go to demonstrate to those around you the goodness and the mercy of God as He upholds you through it all and you take refuge in Him. Yes, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For God is with us. His rod, which defends us, and His staff, which guides us, bring comfort. And so if the Lord is our all, no matter what happens in life, we can truly lose nothing in the long run. Now, uh, one last thing about refuge that will bring us into the next two verses. A refuge is not something you find yourself in by accident. You, you take refuge. You don't get refuge, you know. Uh, people who evacuate from a hurricane don't just wake up the morning of the storm in a safe place miles and miles away. They make plans. They pack their bags. And they leave ahead of time to go to a safe destination that they have deliberately chosen. So if we are going to deliberately choose God as our destination, the, the refuge we are arriving at and living under every day, it's going to require us to order and orient our lives around Him in some specific ways like we've been talking about in our summer community groups. That idea of uh, purposefully putting ourselves in the pathway of God's love through the different spiritual disciplines He's given us, such as prayer, hospitality, solitude and silence, rest, all of those things. So my question is, do you want to be an unbreakable person? Do you want to live a life that is preserved with hope no matter how deep you get cut? You can't expect it to happen. I can't expect it to happen if we're idle and not seeking the Lord as if we had no good apart from Him, like it says in verse 2. So that's sort of uh, some groundwork that lays the foundation for the rest of the psalm. And like I've said, the rest of it is just kind of an expansion of those two verses. So let's move on and we'll refer back to some of those concepts along the way. Look at verse 3. 
As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Now, uh, we all know when we see those people we consider our heroes in the faith, the way they pray or talk and think about God, the way they're just fearless in their obedience, the way they lay down their lives for others, how they reject sin and love God and are just full of peace and security. It just kind of lights a fire, doesn't it? It stirs you up to love and good works. It's the type of person uh, that Paul was talking about when he wrote in the book of Philemon. He wrote, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I want to be like that, we think. You know, or I, I want that to be able to be said of me. And even if it's not a hero in the faith, you know, I mean, this could be uh, just someone in your community group or a brother and sister in Christ who inspires you. We delight in that person. Why? Well, think about it. What, what makes a saint a saint? It's someone who, through the work of the Holy Spirit, loves Jesus. They follow after Jesus as a characteristic routine of life. They trust and submit to Jesus cheerfully. Their greatest treasure is Jesus. And they are steadily growing in likeness to Jesus. And so each of us in the body of Christ are a trophy of God's grace who proclaim the love of God to those around us by just existing as these living examples of God's patience and mercy toward sinners. We convey, this is how God feels about you. This is what Jesus is like. This is what God wants for you. We convey those things to those around us by the way that we, uh, or through our relationship with God and by the way we walk with Him day by day. I wonder, are you that for those in your community? Are you one of the good things your friends have from God, which they delight in because of the way your life demonstrates the steadiness and the value of our great Savior Jesus? I know I have some uh, brothers in the faith who just walked alongside me with such sincerity and devotion to Jesus that their friendship is one of the things I am most thankful for in my whole life. Are you investing in your friends like that? Or are you just kind of content with a surface-level mediocrity? Of course, I have to ask myself those same questions. Would our friends write this verse about us? You know, as for blank in the land... They are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. So in verse 3, he's delighting in the saints because they're the ones who are delighting in God. They're living out verses 1 and 2. They're the ones who take refuge in the Lord and show that every truly lasting good thing is found in Him. Now what about verse 4? Let's look at it. It says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Now, before I explain this verse, I want to qualify what I'm going to say really quick. Um, some of you have had your sorrows multiplied by no fault of your own. 
Some of you have uh, experienced literally some of the worst abuse or heartbreak life has to offer, and none of it was your fault. Okay? And I am so sorry that you had to go through that or are having to go through it now. The last thing I would want is for anyone in this room who have had those kinds of experiences to hear me saying anything like that was your fault. Okay, so with that being said, some of you have had those kinds of experiences, but no matter who you are, all of us know what this verse is talking about. We've all experienced the pain that comes with knowing we've grieved the Holy Spirit by bowing down in worship to some idol we've created. You know, we've all had to endure the the consequences of some sinful choices in life. And we were rightly sorrowful in those times. Some of you may be feeling this kind of sorrow right now. And if that's you, let me encourage you, okay? It's good to feel sorrow when you find yourself lifting your soul to someone or something other than Jesus. If you just felt kind of right at home doing that kind of thing, then you would have a real problem. We thank God that He allows us to grieve our sin because it's, it's one of the things He uses to put us back on the path of life. Okay. Now, uh, what's interesting here in the contrast between the saints in verse 3 and uh, those who run after another god in verse 4 is that David doesn't seem to be aware of some third category that people can fall into. You know, I don't want to be just completely uh, binary or black and white with this concept. I think there is room for people to gradually drift toward or away from Jesus, and there's certainly room for people to uh, wrestle with their doubts and their skepticism somewhere in the middle of things. But here's the big ideas from verses 3 and 4. There are two sets of inheritances, inheritances found in this psalm. And the first one is for my friends here who are running after another God. And it is this. Sorrows that multiply. Now, don't deceive yourself. You don't have to be a part of some pagan religion to to be uh, running after another God. An idol, as Tim Keller puts it, is just anything that is more fundamental to your happiness, your meaning in life, or your identity than God. And so an idol can be anything in life, even good things, right? But they transition from being good things to being uh, idols when we make them ultimate, when we make them more fundamental to our happiness, our meaning in life, or our identity than God. Now, I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you, you uh, never have idols. Of course, we all fall into this at times, right? But, but the point is that all of us in this room will receive one of two promises or inheritances. And it all depends on what, as the verse says, you are running after in life. I'm not saying you never slow down or you never look back when you're running after something. But I am saying that the destination to which you are running changes everything about who you are. Not only your future, but today as well. So, if you're someone who makes something more fundamental to your uh, your happiness, your meaning in life, or identity than God, 
and you run hard after that thing, whatever it is, here's what you can expect. Sorrows that multiply. But what about those who run after the Lord? Let's see in verses 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, what does it mean for the Lord to be our chosen portion or our cup? It's saying all you need in life, all that you hold dear, your share in life, your uh, portion is found in the Lord. He is the cup of blessing from which you drink in this life. Nothing else. All that you have, all that you are, your lot, right, is held by Him, belongs to Him. Now the lines there in verse 6 are talking about uh, the boundary lines that would mark out a piece of land that a person would be inheriting. You can tell from the verse that he is utterly satisfied and content with it. But the thing about inheritances is you don't earn them, right? The family member who's gone before you and is leaving things behind earned them. They worked to accumulate whatever it is they're giving away. But you didn't choose to be born into that family. You qualify for the inheritance by absolutely no work of your own. It's just by virtue of the fact that you belong to that family. Likewise, our gracious, loving Savior lived a perfect life when He was here on earth, thereby earning on our behalf all the righteousness and perfection God requires to live with Him and know Him intimately. You are reaping what He sowed. And on the cross, He willingly reaped what you sowed so that the curse of your sin would no longer stand between you and God. How good is Jesus? And so, let's look at this uh, progression we see from verse 5 to verse 6. You humbly embrace all that the Lord wants to be for you, your chosen portion and your cup. You acknowledge that He holds your lot and you embrace that, you live in that then the lines fall for you in pleasant places. And you have a beautiful inheritance because you have seen that the Lord is good and you've said He's worth anything. Now, as we've already, as we've already heard mentioned in verse 4, if you choose something else for your portion, then the lines will fall for you in different places and you will have a different inheritance. And I would like to submit to you that it will not be as pleasant or beautiful as what we're about to read in the next verses. Indeed, nothing you could possibly imagine could compare with the description of the inheritance that we are about to read. Uh, If you're a note-taker, I'm not promising that these are going to be easy to write down, but there are seven aspects of our inheritance as God's children that I've drawn out of the following verses. Listen to this, verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Number one, wisdom and instruction for life from the one who created everything and knows the end from the beginning. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
We could probably stop there. But it gets better. Verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Number two. A sense of your own self-worth, meaning, and value that is unwavering. Unable to be overthrown. You know, a wholeness and completeness as a person that is immovable and unshakable no matter the circumstance. Why? Because the Lord Himself is pleased to dwell at your right hand. Now, uh, being at the right hand of a king was certainly understood in those times to be one of the highest honors. But that person was still subservient to the king, right? They still bowed the knee to the king they were under. Now, uh, don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. Jesus is king. We are not. But what I want to draw out of these verses is the very idea that God, God himself, would be pleased to get off his throne, leave heaven, and come to earth to serve and sacrificially love you should be enough affirmation to last you a thousand lifetimes. He demonstrated his unimaginable love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Jesus Jesus made himself subservient to those men who nailed him to a cross so that we wouldn't have to endure the curse of our sin. Now tell me, with all that in mind, who loves you more than God? Who values you more than God? He came for you. Right? He sought after you when you were His enemy. He, he who knew no sin became sin so that in Him you might become the righteousness of God. And so we can unhesitatingly say, with this as our identity, redeemed and loved by Jesus Christ, because He is at our right hand, we shall not be shaken. That was uh, number two. Okay, verse nine. Therefore, because of all that, My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Number three, uh, gladness of heart and great reason to rejoice, since we can't be shaken loose from the future God has bought for us. We should really be a people who are marked by buoyancy in life, You know, a spirit of uh, gladness and gratitude always. I mean, look at the the situation, the position we're in as followers of Jesus. It just keeps going. Verse 10. Uh, For you will not abandon my soul to the realm of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. Number four. The faithfulness, steadiness, and nearness of God for all our days. He won't abandon you. He is for you. Hear me say that. Receive it. And then there's this climax of sorts. Verse 11. Here he just sort of explodes with these tremendous, all-inclusive statements. He says, 
You make known to me the path of life. In your, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Number five, true, full life. Number six, fullness of joy. Number seven, pleasures forevermore in His presence. Let me just sum up the seven aspects of our inheritance as God's children for you. You get God. Okay? God Himself is your inheritance if you belong to Him. Now, I said earlier that if we really know and grasp what our inheritance is, it changes everything about us. Not only our future, but today as well. And so, uh, now that we have sort of a picture of what we're dealing with, I want to try to uh, put, put all of that in perspective in a way that hopefully will help the, the glory and the weight of that kind of hit us. Okay? Let's imagine that your great-grandfather has just died. And it's a Thursday. You're at work. And you get a call from a lawyer. Okay? Uh, and, and the lawyer says, Hey, you're not going to believe this, but your grandfather left you some unimaginable amount of money. Let's say $50 trillion. Okay, something ridiculous, right? So he says, you're not going to believe this. Your great-grandfather left you $50 trillion. Uh, is there any way you can make it to my office in the next half hour or so? We can uh, go through some of the details and, and sign some paperwork. Now... The first thing you're going to do is leave work and not care, right? Uh, <laughs> potentially even quit your job, like right there on the spot. And, and uh, so you go to the office, you talk through the details, and you're, you're five minutes, okay? You're five minutes from signing some papers and, and making this final. And you decide, you know what? I'm thirsty. So you go out to the foyer, there's a vending machine, and you reach out, you, re you reach in your pocket for some change, and when you pull your hand out a quarter, drops out of your pocket and falls down a grate in the floor. Okay, now, uh, if you, e even if you weren't in this particular hypothetical situation, you, you still probably wouldn't care about the quarter. But how much more, in light of the fact that you are five minutes from being a trillionaire, are you not going to get down on all fours, press your face against the grate, and try to fish the quarter out with your finger? Right? You are, you're no longer desperate for money. In fact, uh, let someone hit your car in the parking lot. Let a tree fall in your house. You don't care about any of that. You're about to be a trillionaire. Similarly, you're not going to walk out of that office and have the first thought that comes to your mind be to anxiously manage all of your precious little investments, right? You are no longer worried or preoccupied with either saving money or losing it. You're five minutes from being a trillionaire. Everything has changed. Now listen. The five minutes represents your entire lifespan. And the $50 trillion doesn't even begin to remotely approximate the everlasting riches of friendship with God. Oh, that we would get this. Spirit, open us to receive this. Why, why are you trying to save your life? 
Why so often do we find ourselves with our faces against the grate trying to fish out the quarter? You know? Jesus said those who seek to save their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for his sake and the gospels will save it, will find it. And so friends, seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Set your minds on things that are above. Because that's our true home. You know that that five minutes is actually a wild exaggeration. Your whole world, my whole world, exists within a dewdrop that is quickly vanishing. Did you know that if you condense the history of the universe into a single calendar year, that all of humanity has existed within the last eight seconds of December 31st. You are this flicker on the edge of eternity, and the match will very soon be blown out. We are about to get God. You are about to get God. So let's quit spending our lives trying to build a home for our souls here on earth. Let's quit trying to accumulate and store up treasures in this life, trying to fish out the quarter, you know? Let's live like this inheritance is real, like the new earth is actually coming and is upon us, like the kingdom of God is at hand. Rest and be at peace. Start laying yourself down, giving your life away without hesitation, because you are about to get God, brother or sister. What does this world have for you? Now, uh, in closing, let me return to verse 4 and talk to my friends here who, uh, talk, I'm sorry, talk to my friends here for whom the Lord is not their chosen portion in life. It says, uh, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And on the cross, Jesus underwent the ultimate multiplication of sorrows in place of those who have run after other gods but who have turned to trust in Him. Jesus is the truly Holy One from verse 10 who, though He was perfect, did see corruption and separation from God in your place so that you wouldn't have to. But God didn't abandon him to the realm of the dead. He raised him from the grave so that you could know he is who he said he is and he came to set you free to forgive all your sins, to give you a new life, give you this inheritance I've been talking about. He loves you so much. And He wants you to find wholeness. So if you're not someone who uh, is, is following after Jesus in any meaningful sense that really changes the course of your life, let me try to lovingly uh, warn you. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about whether or not you believe in Jesus. Right? Anyone can believe that Jesus is real, that He rose from the grave, that He is God, and still be chasing after other lowercase g gods. If that's you, 
Please hear me. Your sorrows will do nothing but multiply on into eternity. Jesus stands ready to forgive you, to accept you, to restore you, if you will humble yourself, turn from your sin, and receive him as all that he wants to be for you, your uh, chosen portion. But if you keep chasing after stuff that's not going to fill you or satisfy you, and, and, and uh, stuff, stuff that won't last, right? Your, your career, your spouse, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your lack of a boyfriend or girlfriend, your achievements, your good deeds, whatever it is, and you choose that as your portion instead of the one true God, then you're building a house on sinking sand. It has no foundation. And it's on its way to collapsing in on you. And and, uh, Jesus, in love, has come to rescue you. To give you a new life. And we at the ring love you enough to want to share that warning and the hope, the great hope that accompanies it with you. Okay? So if you want to talk afterwards, whether you're a Christian or not, you know, about any of these concepts, anything I've said, uh, I would be more than happy to do that, to, to try to answer any questions as best I can. If you, if, if you want to know some next steps about how to give your life to Jesus, then please don't hesitate to come talk to me. You know, I would be glad to help you with that in any way I possibly can. Uh, I, I want you to have this inheritance today. So now we're going to transition to a time where we we worship and thank this great, great God. Why don't you all uh, stand up as Cody comes back and pray with me. Father, we cry out to you as David did. Preserve us. For in you we take refuge. God, let us not be carried away by the fleeting excitements of this world when we already possess the greatest treasure that exists, knowing you. Help us be like Paul, who said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. All our goodness, Lord, is nothing apart from you, like David said. And and if we were just refugees who you loved and cared for, that would certainly be enough. But you do more than that. God, you've made us heirs. Heirs of the inheritance our great Savior Jesus has won for us. Life forever with you. Forgiveness of all our sin. Freedom from guilt and shame and worrying about this vapor of a life. You have set us at peace. Because you are at our right hand, Father, we shall not be shaken. And I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters here, Father, that you would make the reality and the glory of our inheritance really, really grab a hold of us, help us, 
to apply these things to our hearts and lives. And for those here who are not yet followers of you, Jesus, reveal yourself to them, I pray. Open their hearts and minds to you and and grant them faith, grant them repentance. May we all in, in this room come to say, for us to live is Christ and to die is truly gain. Move, Lord, and work and have your way among us now. It's for your great name's sake that I pray these things. Amen.